All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning, those of you who chose to join us uh, in person and to those of you joining online. So you probably noticed that the stage looks a little different. Um, we had a, a positive case of COVID in my family this last week. Um, very mild symptoms and pretty much over it uh, at this point. So um, not a big issue there. But trying to be um, careful and since half the band is my family, uh, they decided not to, uh, not to do band. And as you know, we've been working with the Civic Center on their new projector, and they got it in this last week. We were really excited about that, but the mount is wrong, and so we're not gonna have that until next week. So next week, we will come, and it will probably look a lot like this on the stage, but we will at least get the chance to sing uh, because we will watch it up on the big screen and we'll, um, we'll have a video and audio from previous Sundays. So we'll get to sing along with that uh, and you'll be able to see the words and all that kind of stuff and we'll be able to do that uh, for online folks and everybody too. So family is just trying to be um, cautious uh, and uh, a little bit careful and so I'm, I'm back farther because uh, you know I spit when I talk. So, uh, so back a little farther from you this morning and, um, and, and all the rest of my family is, uh, is watching at home. So good morning, family. Hope you're having a good morning. Um, anyway, glad to have you with us. Um, things are going to be a little different, a little odd this morning because we don't have the band and we aren't able to let you sing along with the um, video, and so it's going to be shorter service this morning, and uh, apparently a lot of you in person heard, uh, I guess, in the last, because we just found out about it last night, but apparently uh, you know, so um, uh, everybody's got stuff to do this weekend, I guess. Anyway, we are going to worship Jesus, it's just going to be a little different, and so that's okay. So um, kids are already, if your kids aren't in kids' church already, hey Amber, hey, way to go Amber, good job, thank you for all you do. Um, <laughs> uh, if your kids aren't in Kids Church already, they can go in there right now, um, and they'll be uh, doing some stuff in there. Um, we had some nursery uh, uh, Kids Church workers exposed and sick this last week as well. And so, um, look, we live in this uh, great time. We get a new president, and everybody at Real Life gets sick. So, sure, I'm, sh no, no, I'm sure the two had absolutely nothing to do with each other. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pray for our elected officials this morning as well. Um, so, no music this morning, um, I'm going to give you a little offering talk, we're going to go right into communion, and so if you're helping us uh, hand communion out, we're going to do that in just a couple minutes, um, and, uh, and then I'm going to get up and preach, and we are going to be out of here by, uh, don't set your timer, because I have an hour Right, because you all plan to be here till eleven fifteen or so this morning. So uh, I've got, got free. It's free range Corey day. Um, okay. Anyway, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, hey, if you are joining us online or here in person and this is your first time or you are new, maybe you've been here a few times but you've never gone over to reallifecc.us and clicked on the I'm new link, we'd love to have you take a minute and do that today at some point during the service so that we know that you're here. We just want to send you an email, say thank you for coming. If you're joining us online, you can also engage through a chat at live.reallifecc.us. Just open the chat and give yourself a nickname and uh, you can chat along with our online hosts. Um, and so, I don't know, let's pray for the whole service and then we'll just move through uh, as we normally do, all right? God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you that you are um, a steady rock. Thank you that 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 you are, uh, man, your word just says so many things. Like, like you are a, a, a mother uh, hen with her chicks, that you care for us and you protect us and you're the good shepherd who leads us to the places that we need to be. Um, um, you're like a, a fortress that we can run into and be safe and secure there with you. 
And, and so, God, this morning, we just thank you for that because no matter what is going on in our country, no matter what's going on around the world, no matter what even is going on in our personal lives, we can be assured of our relationship with you. We can be assured of your love, your care, your concern, and we know that you will be with us always. I was reminded the other day about uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in a foreign land. They had uh, new leadership, um, they had new rules and regulations, and, and yet they simply determined, each in their own time, they determined they were going to follow you, regardless of who was in control, regardless of what was going on around them. They were going to follow you, they were going to love you, they were going to pray to you, they were going to worship you, and they weren't going to follow the, the cultural mandates of the day. And, and, and God, you use them in powerful ways, not, not just to strengthen their own faith, but to um, protect and provide for a nation that wasn't even theirs. And, and so God, um, today, we, we just come to you and it's different and it feels weird and we're worried about um, all kinds of things that were go are going on. But we know that, that you sit on the throne and that you are king over all things. And so, God, we just worship you today in the best way that we can and, and know that you are here with us and you're present today. And so, God, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to share with you uh, just a, a couple thoughts um, from this last week, our Bible reading, and um, uh, some thoughts about uh, giving. This last week I read in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus calls out the religious leaders. And he calls them out in public for um, giving a, a tenth, literally a tithe, of things like their spices. And, and he even goes down to say um, mint, dill, and cumin. Apparently those were popular spices back then. I don't know. But then Jesus goes on to say, look, you've, you've done a really good job of, of tithing even to these insignificant things like spices. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so Jesus tells the religious leaders that they should give the tithe but they should also develop the gifts of the Spirit. Giving money to God is, uh, even if you give a lot of money to God, it does not replace developing the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Tithing is not a, a get-out-of-sin-free card. It's supposed to come from the heart, right? A grat with gratitude and with cheer, not a heart of greed. What I mean is we, we give to God only so that we'll get back from Him something. We spiritually blackmail God. and We go, hey God, look, I gave and now you have to give. What I think Jesus was saying was, look, if your heart is full of injustice, hate, legalism, unfaithfulness, don't expect God to overlook those things simply because you give in other ways. No matter how much you give, God knows your heart, and giving is about what's in your heart, not what's in your hand. You can't buy your way into heaven. If God wanted to, if he wanted what you have, he could just take it, and he could leave you with nothing. So giving isn't about, about your money. It's about your heart. Today, I want to encourage you to give. But we also need to pay attention to how we live as well. Because giving should come from a heart of worship and a spirit of, of joy and cheer and gratitude and generosity. And so you've got some options to give uh, today at Real Life. You can go to reallifecc.us. You can click on the orange Give button in the right hand, bottom right-hand corner on any page of the website, mobile or desktop. Uh, if you're joining us online at live.reallifecc.us, you can click the Give Now, the blue button in the chat window, and that'll open up another uh, window for you to give. Every way that you give to Real Life is secure and encrypted and all of that stuff. And uh, we just appreciate the fact that you do give um, and uh, that even in this time of difficulty and struggle and uncertainty, 
you continue to be faithful in that. And so uh, we appreciate that very much. If you are not here in person, you can also send a gift uh, to the address on the bottom of the screen over here, or uh, you can look at the bottom of any page on the website and uh, send it to our PO box. I think it's 265. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. Thank you for giving to us. Thank you for all that you do. And, and God, we just, uh, we come before you grateful, grateful and thankful for all that you have done. And, and so would you just continue to provide for us so that we can provide um, for your kingdom, for the ministry and the mission of this place and uh, for those in need. And, and God, as we do that, would we do that from a heart that is um, open and, and pure before you? Um, God, we just want to see the kingdom grow. We want to see every person possible find real life in your son, Jesus. And then we all together want to look a little more like, like him each and every day. Help us to do that, Father, in Jesus' name. time of communion where we uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in the world today and how it applies to uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross all those years ago. I've been reading in Matthew uh, and finding things and little tidbits in the Bible that can point us to uh, how did Jesus react in times of solitude uh, and how can we kind of attribute the ways that he did it in his life to the way that we can uh, incorporate the daily teachings and the life of Jesus into our own lives during this time of COVID-19. So when Jesus uh, wanted to really be alone with God, a few times in the Bible, he goes off and uh, sought seclusion in order to form a deeper relationship with his father. And uh, I think that that's good for us to do as well. Uh, and what better time than now when we're kind of in this forced seclusion uh, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think a lot of us uh, can use can relate to this passage as we want to use this time to do productive things. We want to use it to develop a closer relationship with our families and with Jesus. Uh, but sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. Sometimes when we are, even if we spend all day and we get so much done, we can really feel like we didn't do anything at all that day. But as long as we are spending time with the Word and spending time with God, we are doing something. Using that time in, in, in the morning, evening, afternoon, whenever you can, to spend some time in the Holy Word and just spend some time with our Heavenly Father, uh, that is progress we can make for ourselves. Uh, as you sit at home, uh, just like I am doing here in my home, uh, if you have some kind of food, eating lunch, uh, grabbing a snack, whatever, you got your drink with you, uh, I got some chips here. Um, feel free to participate in a, in a communion with us as we, uh, as we go into our new week and we keep our eyes focused on Jesus and, and uh, keep our mind in his word and try to relate. Um, use this seclusion time to grow your relationship with God. A lot of us have been begging for time recently to grow closer to God and now we have it. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that this week uh, you are able to, in the seclusion and in the, uh, in the private lives of everybody that attends this church, everybody in the world, um, attending church or not, I pray that uh, you are able to touch their lives and help them uh, kind of bring, bring our gaze back toward you and that you are able to uh, kind of show us the way and show us how to some of us are dealing with a lot of anxiety uh, during this time, not sure how to handle the situation that we're in. Uh, way more time with people in, in close, close proximity. 
can sometimes be detrimental, but we know that as long as we keep you in the center of all of that, in the center of our marriage, the center of our relationships, the center of our friendships near and far, um, that those relationships will be uh, built stronger because you are part of the foundation. Um, please just be with be with the, these people that are watching and uh, help us to keep our eyes focused on you this week. In your, in your name we pray, amen. So welcome back. If you uh, would have told me um, at the beginning of this year that this is the this would be the state of the church, that uh, come um, early November there'd be no band and we'd be like, what's going on? I would have told you you were absolutely crazy. Like we'd never um, do this. I'm on the phone last night with DJ who uh, who runs a band rehearsal and uh, all that kind of stuff and um, we're like hey okay so the drummer's out and the bass player's out and the <laughs> worship leader's out um, so what do we do and um, normally like I said before normally we would just uh, we would have been up late last night we would have been um, running audio through the processor and mixing it all down and pulling video from past services and making sure that we could play that with you but uh, or, or for you. But we decided that um, everybody in the building trying to watch this uh, with, uh, you know, our band being just two or three inches uh, tall would not probably work very well. So, um, so here we are, and it's just so uh, weird. I don't know if it's weird for you. It's, it's weird for me. Um, 
to, uh, to, to go through it. So anyway, we're just going to jump ahead. We're going to go full steam ahead. So this is um, week two of our series, Without a King, and we're looking at the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And um, Judges was, uh, is a book, if you go back and, and look at it, what you see is the people going through this process of sin. We talked about that last week. We're going to look at it a little more today. Going through this process of sin and, um, and, and God being faithful to them and bringing up judges. And so a judge would rule uh, Israel for a time period. And as long as that person was in charge in the nation, the nation did pretty good. Like they followed God, they were faithful to him. And then that judge would die and they'd go back to um, not following. They'd stop following God. Then they'd, they'd go and we'll see that process in a minute. But um, so they just were in this cycle, just over and over and over, they uh, got caught up in that. So I want to start out just asking you this question this morning as we get ready to jump into Judges chapter 4. Have you ever felt like you just weren't good enough for God? Ever felt like you just weren't good enough for God? And, and I've talked to a, a lot of people who have, who have felt that way in their lives, like, like, I, I'd like to be used by God. I'd like to do something good for God. But it just seems like I'm, I can't. Like, I don't know. I'm just not good enough. And then we come up with a lot of different excuses for why we're not good enough for God. And so I just want to run through a couple of them really, uh, really quickly. Um, I think the biggest one is each of us know our past. So a lot of people think, well, I'm not good enough for God because I know what I've done. Nobody else may be aware of those things, but I know what I've done in my past, and, and, and so I, my past, I feel like, keeps me from being able to serve God, and, and it kind of stunts that relationship or that growth with God. I'm just not good enough for God because of the things I've done in my past. I've got a few, uh, a few more. Um, we might say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. And, and so I need to come and I need to grow a little more. I need to read a little more. I need to know a few more stories. I've, I've heard people go, well, I, did, I couldn't um, work with young kids in church because I don't know all the Bible stories. Uh, and uh, you're probably like most people. It's hard to remember all of those stories. But maybe you feel like you can't be used by God because... You just don't know enough. And, and at some point, I'm going to reach that level, like I'm going to get my PhD in Bible, and then I'll be able to do stuff, and God will be able to use me. Um, maybe you feel like your abilities aren't suited for kingdom work. You go, well, I've got some abilities, but I don't know how they're going to fit with church stuff. You know, I'm a pipe fitter or something. How, how does that translate into into church work. And so I'm not good enough for God because I just don't have the abilities um, maybe that are suited for ministry. Maybe you feel like you're too old, you're too young, you're too busy, you're too tired. There's a lot of reasons we're not good enough for God. Um, what about this one? You're not sure that the church wants or needs what you have to offer. So there's a lot of in churches um, all around who are just like, well, uh, I don't think that the things I know how to do can really be used effectively in, in church. I just don't think the church maybe needs the things that I have to offer. Well, today I want to make sure that you know um, the truth, that you walk out of here knowing what actually is going on with you and, and what the truth is. And, um, and that is that... Uh, God accomplishes more through the willing than he does the worthy. So, you may feel like you're not good enough for God for a whole lot of different reasons, but God's not looking for people who are good enough. He's looking for people who are willing. People who are willing to, to, to just step out and do the things that he's called them to do. And so, um, we're going to look at that today in Judges chapter 4. Now, last week, we kicked off this series in the book of Judges, and um, I kind of just snuck it in. In fact, I had a whole other message series planned for the month of November, and several things happened, um, and, and so I ditched that. We're actually going to do that series early in um, 2021, if we make it to that 2021, uh, we're going to do that, um, and so I just snuck judges in, but, but really I snuck judges in for this reason, because I think that what's going on in Israel in this time period, okay, so they've, they, they were 250 years in Egypt in slavery, 
They were 40 years wandering in the desert. They now have crossed the Jordan River from the east to the west. They've gone in. They've taken Jericho. They begin to push the uh, people out, and they've been, they begin to dispossess them in the promised land that God gave them. Um, they're bringing discipline and judgment from God on the people of the nation for their sin um, and, and for their uh, idolatry and idol worship, for sacrificing their own children to God's like um, Molech, and, and just a whole lot of things going on. And so the Israelites are coming in, but now um, we, we read last week in the beginning of Judges, Joshua has died. So Moses led them through the wilderness. He died on the east side of the Jordan. Joshua leads them across the Jordan and they begin to take the land. But now Joshua has died and the generation of people that were there with Joshua who came out of Egypt and uh, were born in the desert and now made it into the promised land, they have all died and the people are kind of like, what do we do now? So they've begun to follow the idols and worship at the altars of the native people of the promised land. And so I think Israel in this time period has a lot of similarities to what it, life feels like in 2020. In churches large and small across this country, uh, in January, February, preachers pitched their 2020 vision expectations for the year. And I doubt that a single one of us got it right. Nobody had an idea of what we would be experiencing today at the beginning of the year. Now, I don't know if you were with us in the beginning of the year on our Vision Sunday. Um, I laid out a plan and said, look, we've been talking with our staff. We've been talking with um, our volunteers. Our kids' church, do you remember this? Kids' ministry was packed. We were running 40-plus in kids' church every single Sunday, and it was too many kids in there. And so we were talking about school starting back in August, and we running two services instead of just one on Sunday morning. Uh, and of course, God knew what was going to happen. We didn't. And so uh, kind of took care of, uh, of that. Uh, and so it's just a weird year. And, and the things that we thought were going to happen didn't happen. The things that we thought would never happen uh, appear to have happened. And so it's just a weird kind of time that, that we're in. I feel like Master Yoda when he said, the dark side clouds everything impossible to see the future is. Now, if you um, want to hear that in the actual voice, wait till Andrea comes back because she's really good at doing Yoda. You wouldn't expect that, but uh, she's good uh, at, at doing his voice. What was supposed to be the year of vision, right? 2020, what was supposed to be the year of vision has really become the year of confusion. And so here we are. Israel was supposed to be 12 tribes, right? the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 separate tribes all coming together and being led by God. We might say it this way, maybe it sounds um, better to you. They were supposed to be one nation under God. That was the plan in the beginning for Israel. They would come together when it was time to come together, but they would rule themselves when it was time to, to do that. Um, and in the beginning, the, the, people, the people did what they were supposed to do, like they were led by God. We looked at Judges 1, 1, and it said the people asked God, what do you want us to do? And then they did it. But then as time went on, and like I said, Joshua and others in his generation died off, and, and there's all these foreign people in their land now, and they're worshiping their idols, they're worshiping at their altars. It's all around. They've adopted that into the Israelite communities because they didn't destroy all that stuff when they moved in. And so they have begun to do exactly what God knew they would do. They had begun to follow the gods of the native peoples in the land. And over and over in the book of Judges, we hear this line. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So instead of enjoying the protection and the provision and the um, prosperity that God had promised, the people of Israel began instead to experience his discipline. You don't have to look very hard to see the similarities in our own nation right now to the nation of Israel back then. Um, I can hear already, and, and I hope this doesn't happen if it's you, pull the reins a little bit, okay? I can already hear the chance of not my president coming. And I don't know if that's the right course of action for us as believers. 
Because what I think it does is it um, elevates our uh, political, uh, governmental leaders into places like that they have control that, that, look, they just don't have. We are people who are supposed to be followers of Christ, not followers of sports figures and followers of political people. We're supposed to be followers of Christ. And regardless of what happens in the world around us, we're going to do what Christ calls us to do. So, I think we look back and go, why are we here as a nation? I'm not talking just political. There's a lot of things going on. Why are we here? Well, I think we're here for the same reasons that Israel was there. We've stopped following God as a nation, and everyone seems to be doing what is right in their own eyes. The hope that we see in Judges, though, can be our hope, too. That we recognize our sin, right, as a, as a nation, but first as individuals have to, has to happen with us first, and then it moves to our communities, and then it moves to our nations. But we recognize our sin, and we repent of that, or we turn away from that sin, and we turn back to God. And then Judges promises us that he is quick to respond and to reconcile us and bring us back into relationship with him. Unfortunately, there is a cycle that we, like Israel, get caught up in. We talked about this last week, but I want to give you a little bit of a, a visual for it. And so we have to work through this process in order to come to that point where we're reconciled to God. Okay, So um, let me just uh, share. It starts with faithfulness, right? The beginning of the nation of Israel. The people were faithful to God. God was faithful to them. Our, our point last week was um, that God is faithful first. He's always faithful first. And so God is always faithful to us. But we work through times and cycles where we also are faithful to God. And so faithfulness was the mark of the Israelites and God's relationship at the very beginning. Okay, They were all following. Everything was going great. But then that nation, uh, uh, those leaders, they died and new people came up. And all of a sudden the people began to stop following God. They began to follow the, the idols and the altars of the uh, indigenous peoples, the nations around them. They began to adopt those practices, and they stopped following God. And so God said, look, what happens? If you stop following me, I'm going to stop fighting for you. And what that meant is that Israel was going to have to fight their own battles. And so in, instead of God fighting their battles and keeping peace with the nation, they began to fight their own battles. So they started fighting the nations around them. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And then they begin to cry out to God, right, because of the oppression that they were in. Because I, I said that they were fighting, but really what they were doing was losing. They really were just, they were just losing. And so they would cry out to God, God, what do we do? God, save us. You know, we don't know what's going on. They would repent. They would begin to sacrifice again. They would begin to worship God again. And then God would step in when they started following and he would show up, he would deliver them, he would bring them a judge. That judge would begin to rule, it would, he would help them or she would help them in that process and then they would move back into a time of faithfulness. And so we're gonna pick up the story today in Judges chapter four, Judges chapter four. And it says, uh, it says this, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, after Ehud dies, we talked about him. So Judges chapter 3 is the story of Ehud. Fantastic story, by the way. If you haven't read it, go back and, and, and read it. Uh, Ehud is a left-handed dude, and that seems like a, uh, a, a struggle, but it turns out to be a good thing, and he goes and frees the people. It's a really great story. So Ehud dies, uh, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Now that's going to come back in just a few minutes, and so remember that. The commander of his army was a guy named Sisera who lived in Herosheth Hagoim or something like that. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Remember, they stopped following. They began to fight with Jabin and then um, they cried out to God. They started following again. Uh, Sisera had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. 
So Ehud was the judge, he dies, and then for 20 years, the people of Israel are caught in this um, fighting with the Canaanite people and Jabin and his general Sisera, and they're losing and it's terrible and Sisera's really cruel, and so they're stuck in this place. So we go, where are they in that um, cycle that they were in? Uh, they're right there. They've stopped following and, and, and they're beginning to fight and they're struggling here with um, with Sisera. They stopped following God after Ehud died. For 20 years they've been fighting, losing to Jabin, king of Canaan, and his cruel uh, general, Sisera, who had those 900 iron chariots. Now remember, the people of Israel at this time are farmers and ranchers. Right? That's what they do. Um, in fact, there's stories in the Old Testament where the Israelites had to go outside of their own nation um, to uh, have... Um, uh, like hose and things made, iron things made, because they didn't have any back blacksmiths. So you think about a, a nation at this time period um, that doesn't have any blacksmiths, and they're trying to fight wars. So they're out there fighting with literally sticks and stones, and the nation that is oppressing them has 900 iron chariots. Now, I don't know about you, but that is... Um, not good odds for me if I'm standing out on the front line uh, with my sharpened stick <laughs> waiting for a chariot to come um, and get me. I, I, don't, I don't like those odds. So um, they're primarily farmers and ranchers. They did not have a trained uh, standing army. They just uh, put the call out and all of those men who were over a certain age, they were fighting age, who were able, they came out and they came and went to war. Like this is not Sparta, okay? They don't know what they're doing. They did not train for this, and now they've been oppressed for 20 years. They're crying out to God, and because he feels sorry for them, he's going to rescue them. He's going to save them. He's going to get involved. But one more thing before we um, leave these few verses that I think is very important. Verse 1 says that Israel did, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Israel had sinned according to God, and he judged them. And that's why they're disciplined uh, right now because they have, they've, they've been doing their own thing, right? They've cried out to God because of their oppression, oppression and he's about to inter, intervene. Here's the thing about sin in our lives. Often we only recognize sin as sin after we've had to suffer from it. Let's think about that for a minute. Initially, Sin is always enticing, but in the end, it's always enslaving. And so too often, we have to suffer some consequences of our sin before we recognize it and repent of it. Just maybe think about this in your own lives, or maybe the lives of somebody that you love, or somebody in your, in your family, or your friends. Look, that um, first drink, that, that, that first drag, that first whatever, it always seems really good. Okay, everything seems great, and hey, I'm going to go do this in life, and I'm my own person, and it's all going to be fantastic. And for a while, things are pretty good when we're sinning, when we're doing what's right in our own eyes, but eventually, those things become a trap for us. And they begin to lock us into this place that we didn't intend to be. And so sin always starts out great, but then eventually we have to suffer the consequences of that sin before we recognize it and repent. I'm getting a little older, right? Um, you may not recognize that, but I am, trust me. I'm getting a little older, and, and one of the things that's been frustrating to me in, in my life is I've, I've known a lot of people, as they get older, they begin to have medical issues and challenges and things like that, right? And oftentimes, when we go to the doctor, um, let me just give you this example. So uh, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, look, you, if you don't begin watching what you're eating or whatever, you're going to develop diabetes, and this is going to be really bad. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we go home and maybe a day we eat a little better, but the next day we're back to eating whatever we want, right? We're, we're doing that. And so what happens in that process is we wait until it gets really bad. And the doctor's like, look, if you don't do something now, you're going to die. And then we go, oh, no, okay, I'll start watching it. Again, that, that, is that just me? Am I the only one that does that? Like we, we, 
we know the right things, we know the good things that we ought to do to protect us physically, right? Maybe to protect our minds, to protect our marriages, to protect our children. We know the good things that we ought to do, but often we don't do them until there's an outside force or pressure. We go, oh, this is bad, and now I have to change. Now I have to start doing something different. I've seen this in, in my own life. You may not um, know this, but uh, for the last 10 weeks, I have been um, very faithful, hitting the gym um, every day, five days a week, every day. And I think back, like, why? I, like, I've gone to the gym in the past and, and, and things like that. And I go, why am I doing that now? And why am I being more dedicated and disciplined than I ever have been in my whole entire life? I will tell you why. Because in eight months or so, um, I will be 50. So, so you reach that age, right, where you go, I'm going to die <laughs> someday, right? I know, I know I've got a few more years. But, like, it takes that force, right? We say people who are, um, people who are struggling with addiction, the pain of change has to get to a point where it's less than the pain of staying the same before we make any changes in our lives. The same thing is true of sin. We often have to begin suffering the consequences of that sin before we recognize it and then we repent because that's just how, how we work. And so I think it's really important to look at this. The people of Israel did what was evil, not in their own sight, not because they thought the things that they were doing were evil, but because they realized that in the sight of God, the things they were doing were evil. And so what would change in our daily lives if we began to just say, okay, God, what in my life today do you look at it and go, that's evil? And then what needs to change? That's a big problem. Okay, Judges 4, moving on. Verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, I guess, was judging Israel at that time. Okay, so Deborah is judging Israel. Deborah is the second of four characters we're going to focus on, um, and uh, she is the first of two women. The first was Sisera, the general king uh, of Jabin's army, and uh, he was a really egotistical man. Deborah, on the other hand, is a nobody, right? Deborah comes out of nowhere. We don't know anything about her. Ehud has been ruling in uh, Israel, judges. He's doing a fantastic job, but he dies. And then all of a sudden, Deborah is, is ruling. We don't know anything about her calling. We don't know anything about her past or her history. We don't know anything about what she's accomplished in her life. All we're told is that she is judging or ruling Israel at the time, and we're given just the bare minimum of information. In fact, the rest of the Bible really doesn't talk about Deborah or give us anything any other information about her at all. The only thing we really know about Deborah is that she was judging Israel, duh, and number two, that her husband's name was Lapidoth. We go, why is that important? Because we don't know who this guy is either. We're giving no information, no background, no history. We don't know anything about him uh, and his life uh, either. Why is this important? Well, remember, we're talking about ancient time period, right? And so um, the women in this time period, in the time of Judges in the Old Testament, had, um, well, they just didn't have very much. They couldn't vote. They couldn't own property. They couldn't um, stand up in uh, court, and they couldn't say anything. In fact, many women, um, for the Jews anyway, weren't even allowed to talk to other men um, outside of their husbands in, in, in public. Like, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but like it just wasn't, you just didn't do it. Uh, when Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman, he talks to her at the well, she's like surprised. You're a Jew and you're talking to me and we're in public. This is strange. Why are you doing this? And so um, women at that time, they just, did, they just didn't have a, a lot of opportunity. They just, look, they, um, they brought in the water for the day. They did the cooking for the day and they um, bore and raised children. That was pretty much the extent of what women did at that time. And if you didn't have children, if you were a barren woman, you were shamed by the people around you and oftentimes by your husband. And you might be divorced and you might be left on your own because of that. And, and so for a woman to gain standing, she had to be married to a man of standing who had um, uh, money or, or whatever, but power somehow, or 
Another way that a woman gained um, power or respect by her peers was by having a lot of children, especially male children. And so that's the time period that we're in, and all of a sudden we're like, okay, Deborah is um, Deborah's here and she's judging the nation of Israel. This has never happened. This is groundbreaking thing. It's really strange. But people from all over Israel are coming back um, to Deborah and to listen to what she has to say. Um, but Deborah's story and, and the other people in this uh, Judges chapter 4 prove a point, And that is that God looks for the willing, not the worthy. God's looking for people, he's looking for the willing, not the worry. So to have a woman prophet was somewhat rare, although it did happen. There's a few occasions in the Bible where there's a, a, a woman who seems to have some um, power or, or authority or be working for God. Um, and it wasn't that Deborah was um, completely worthy of being a prophet. Like we, we don't really have any, like she would not have been considered worthy probably by the men of that day uh, to be a, a prophet. Um, she certainly probably wasn't as worthy as others, but she was willing to step into the role that God had given her. So she heard God's voice and she told people what God said. She just decided this is what God's done and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. And so um, we're gonna camp here for a minute because gender is a big issue in our world today. And I believe that the Bible is clear that there are some functions within the church where gender must be considered and we have to wrestle with whether the command in Scripture was for that specific time period or whether it was universal, meaning it's true for all time. And that's difficult. There's lots of people who argue lots of different things and there's circles you just go around and around and around in. Um, but that's one of the issues that we deal with when we look at Scripture. Um, one of those issues is biblical eldership. Paul writes to Timothy and Titus and seems to indicate that elders are men. And then we look at the rest of church history, the next 60 years after Jesus' death, the next 60 years where the church is growing and it's expanding and Paul's on his missionary journeys and all of these things are happening, there is never a single female elder in all of Christendom in the beginning. The closest to Jesus, you just don't see it. God is a God of order. And, and we talked about this in February, we went through our relationship series. God is a God of order, and so he orders things the way he does. And it doesn't mean that one person um, or one gender has greater uh, worth to God or better position to God. In fact, Jesus says, look, we're all, we're supposed to submit to each other. We're all the same. Um, and, and so it's not that God has said, well, one person's better than the other, one gender's better than the other. It's just that God is a God of order. And so he set an order in place. Man was created first and then woman. And that's the order that's carried on through the rest of Scripture um, in everything that we, we see. But there's one kind of overriding theme that I think for us in the church and in the world and even um, for us in our lives, we need to, to follow. And, and, and that's this, that God is way more interested in your gifts than he is your gender. We get too caught up on gender sometimes, but I think God's way more interested in your gifts than your gender. And Deborah, in the next chapter, uh, or the next character that we see is going gonna, is gonna to prove this. So let's jump to Judges 4, 6 to 8. So uh, Deborah, that's she, sent and summoned Barak, who was the son of this guy from this place, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. This is God talking through Deborah to Barak, the general of Israel's army. And Barak said, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go, I will not go. And so here's the general of Israel's army, and he's got a bad case of masculinity. I think Barak's upset before uh, two reasons, really. Number first, uh, number first, number one, I think he's upset because a woman summoned him. At this point in time, Barak is probably the number one political leader in the entire nation of Israel. Because he's the general of Israel's army. Now there's all kinds of tribal leaders and all this kind of stuff. But after Joshua, the nation really doesn't have a leader. And Ehud has died. And so they're kind of leaderless. But, but um, uh, Barak has been the general for a long time. 
He's led the people of Israel. And so this woman dares to call him to come to her instead of her coming to him. And so I think he's a little upset about that. Secondly, Deborah starts out her meeting, um, has not the Lord commanded you? And I think that took Barak back a little bit. Look, here's a woman, Deborah, who knows nothing about military uh, efforts or war or anything. Like she's not trained in it. She doesn't know what she's talking about, really. But certainly that's what he thought uh, anyway. And, and, and probably that was the case because um, in those days, I, I was thinking back, I can't remember a story where there are women present at the battle lines of Israel. There's lots of stories in the Bible where the men leave and go to battle and the women stay in the, in the city or the town, wherever it is. And, and they're actually um, exposed and, and people come and... Um, capture that city and take the people happened to David and, and his army and and so this happens a lot and, and so to, to have this woman coming into Barak who doesn't know anything about military uh, strategy or anything and she's like hey you need to go to battle I, I think Barak um, didn't like that uh, very much because she was not just saying go to battle but she was giving him the time and the place and the battle plan she was laying it all out for him and I think he's like who are you. And I think this is why he responds the way he does, because he knows Deborah is not a fighter. Women, again, weren't allowed to be in, in battle. And so Barak says there, well, look, I'm not going to go unless you come with me. Why did he, why did he do that? I think he did that um, really for maybe a couple reasons. I think reason number one is if he fails, and Israel loses again like they've been doing for 20 years, he wants to be able to have her there and go, look, it's her fault. She did this. She's the one. She's responsible. I didn't have anything to do with it. She's the one that said we needed to go to battle. So I think he wanted a scapegoat. But secondly, I think there's, I think there's, another, um, I think there's another reason. Perhaps Barak was treating Deborah more like a good luck charm than a prophet of God. And, and so um, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this. I think that Barak objectified Deborah respecting the voice of God within her. So he said, I don't care what God says through you. I'm going to bring you along just like my good luck charm. I think he simply wanted her physical presence with him as insurance. So let me speak to husbands for just a second. Um, guys, listen to your wives. And if you're not married, listen to the women around you. Listening to my wife has saved me a lot of heartache in the last 30 years. Now, I haven't often liked some of the things that she has said, some of the insight that she has had, but I've learned to respect the voice of God within her. And when I listen to her and when I put into practice those things that she says, it always works out better. Um, that's a tough thing sometimes because a lot of times we feel more like Sisera and we feel more like Barak and we're like hey I know what's going on and I'm the man and I've got this figured out but sometimes um, look women just know some of those things and we need to listen to them a little more okay we're gonna uh, we're gonna run on here so Deborah agrees to go with Barak, but since she's a prophet of God, right, she has this, this word for him. And so um, she tells him, um, basically, I'm going to paraphrase here. She's like, look, I'll go with you. You, you want me to go? I'll go with you. But because you've demanded that I go with you, you will not get the glory for the victory in this battle. Sisera's going to be killed but you're not going to be the one to do it. A, a woman is going to do it. And so I think God was like, okay, Barak, um, you're going to treat one of my creations like this. You're not going to respect the, my voice within her. And so um, you're going to go to battle, but you're not going to be the one to get the victory. People are going to be shouting somebody else's name at the end. And now we see that um, God's going to deal with Barak, right? Not only on behalf of Deborah, as his prophet who should be honored, but also um, because Barak's only reason um, for not taking her seriously was her gender. So, verse 15, in the heat of the battle, God routed Sisera. All his chariots, his army, um, the contemporary English version says that God confused them all, and so they fell before 
Barak. Only Sisera escaped. Now remember, Sisera's the big dog, right? He's the uh, general of Jabin's army, the Canaanites. He's been oppressing the Israelites for 20 years. He knows what he's doing. He's a smart guy. He's probably a big guy, a strong guy. He's got life figured out. Um, and, and they came down to battle to do battle with Israel. He's like, this is going to be like the last 20 years. They don't stand a chance. So he was completely surprised when Israel begin, uh, began to win. And, and so um, here, here's what happens. Sisera leaves the battle by himself. Uh, everybody leaves everybody else to die, and he runs away, um, basically. And, and he comes to a tent, and there's a woman in that tent named Jael. Jael is part of a nomadic tribe that's connected to uh, the Kenites who were related to Moses. Okay, so there's kind of a family connection there. Um, they were nomadic. They lived in uh, Canaanite parts of the country. Um, but they knew about Israel. They were connected to Israel through Moses' uh, Moses' father-in-law. That's how they were connected. So Sisera comes. He comes to a tent. Jael is there. And Jael in, invites him in. Sisera seems like, this is, I'm just going to give you a little insight into my brain. One of the things that I really uh, dislike is teams. Let's take the NFL, for example. You have a team that's just getting stomped. Right, so they are they're way too far down to, to have enough time to catch up by the end of the game. Basically, they're the cowboys right now. Way too like there's no physical way that they can score enough points to win the game. They're in the last few minutes of the game, they're down by 30 points or whatever. And either the defense gets a stop or the offense gets a touchdown. Again, not gonna affect the outcome of the game already. And what happens? They celebrate like they just won the Super Bowl. And I'm like, you're a bunch of idiots. Do you not know that, that your touchdown, your whatever, makes absolutely no difference to the score, like who's going to win, who's going to, and that you're celebrating like you just did something incredible. You didn't. You've stunk the whole game, and this is ridiculous. There's this thing, I think, that guys deal with, um, and, and we, humiliation on the field unfortunately doesn't affect humility off the field. We can be completely humiliated on the field and walk off the field like we're kings of the world. And that's what Sisera does. He gets completely decimated, his 900 chariots wiped out, and then he goes and finds this woman in jail. He acts like he is the king of the world. Now here's what happens. Julie, I'm just going to jump ahead and whatever happens, happens. Okay, here's what happens. He goes to jail. He goes into her tent. He says, look, if somebody comes looking for me, tell them I'm not here. And he goes into the back of the tent and he lays down. Jael covers him up. She gives him a little milk and he goes to sleep. Now think about this for a minute. You have just been decimated. Your army is decimated. The entire army of Israel is looking for you. And you are so confident in your strength and ability and who you are that you would go into this stranger's tent and go to sleep. Like this guy had an ego through the roof. And so what happens? You read the rest of the story. J.L. Uh, treats him real nice. Maybe she sings him a lullaby. He goes to sleep. And after he falls asleep, she sneaks in to the back part of the tent where he's resting. She gets a tent peg and a hammer, and she drives it through his temple and into the ground killing him like dead right there. It would have been horribly gruesome and, and gory and disgusting. And you're like, why in the world is that story in the Bible? And why are you telling us? Um, it's because, uh, guys, what happens when you let your ego get the best of you is you get pegged to the floor. Uh, that's not really what happens. But, you know, like pride goes before the fall, right? There's a reason that saying is out there. And so J.L. kills Sisera and shortly after that, Barak comes up to the tent and Jael sees him and she says, hey, the guy that you're looking for is in here. And when Barak comes in, he finds Sisera dead. Jael gets the victory for um, the battle and defeating Sisera, not Barak. So there's a couple things going on that I think are really interesting here. One of them is um, God did not make Jael kill Sisera in such a gruesome way, 
Okay, God's not in the business of, of, of doing that. God did not make that happen. God simply arranged the, the situation so that an egotistical man would go into the back of a tent and fall asleep like an idiot in the middle of war. And he knew that Jael, as this nomadic woman, had it in herself to take care of things. God let the story play out, right? He arranged the characters in the story and then he let it play out according to what was in their heart. I like what um, Tim Keller said. He says this, God often uses people to do what he wants to happen without violating their personal responsibility or condoning their methods. So he knew the violence of, that was within J.L., He didn't make her kill Sisera, even though he knew that she would. He just organized the events, knowing that Jael had the ability to do it, and that Sisera, being the chauvinist he was, would fall right into her hands. Now, Sisera's in the back sleeping. Jael could have simply waited for Barak to show up and then go, hey, Sisera's in the back, go kill him. But God took care of it, right? So we've looked at Sisera and Jael and Barak and, and, and Deborah. None of these four per- people were worthy by God's standards, but God used them in pretty incredible ways, um, proving that this, God accomplishes more through the willing than he does the worthy. Now, a, a couple of really things, and we're going to wrap up. Sisera for 20 years had put his confidence in his 900 chariots. In fact, if you go back to Judges 1, you'll read that Judah couldn't drive out the Canaanites from their land. Because why? Because they had iron chariots. So from the very beginning, as Israel comes into uh, Canaan, they are forcing them, uh, they're unable to uh, uh, drive the Canaan out because of these iron chariots until Deborah comes into power and uh, uh, Barak and Sisera and Jael Kill, uh, uh, take over, okay? In fi- verse 15 of chapter 4, it says that Sisera got down from his chariots and he fled away on foot. Sisera got out of the thing that he had had confidence in for 20 years to protect him and he fled away. Even his iron chariots couldn't save him from the armies of God this time. And so the question is, what have you and I been putting our hope in besides God? What have we been putting our confidence in? Sisera put his confidence in the iron chariots and then they were gone. Maybe you put your confidence or your hope in your abilities or your um, beauty, your physical uh, appearance, your degree, your years of experience. Maybe your hope is in your bank account or uh, your Bitcoin portfolio. But if if your hope is in anything but God, it will fail. Sometimes, like Barak and Sisera, we feel worthy because our possessions or skills or abilities uh, the, um, are, 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 are good, they're strong, and we're like, hey, uh, I can make this, I can do this. Um, but look, we can't even control our genetics or our gender, right? And, and so those things are given to us um, by God. J.L. and Deborah prove that God isn't looking for those who think they're worthy because we've got it all together. He's looking for those who know they're weak. We're willing to go to war because God is with them. So, you might be waiting to be good enough, but God is waiting for you to get going. God uses who he chooses. A couple of people I'm going to uh, point out. Lance, uh, sitting back over here, who greeted you when you came in the auditorium today. Lance texted me a couple months ago, and he says, look, I feel like God's um, telling me I need to start a men's ministry and and I feel like he's been saying this for a while and so I'm just going to do it. What do you think? And I said, I think it sounds great. What do you need? Um, And so we've had a bunch of guys uh, show up to a couple things that have happened already. Um, There's a men's uh, breakfast happening in uh, this month. I think the 21st, is it? 21st uh, is happening, so we'll have information about that on the men's ministry page on the website. Um, but um, look, you just like, hey, I'm, God's telling me to do something, and I'm going to do it. Um, and uh, we're super excited to have him doing that stuff. Uh, Darlene and Joanna, who despite some physical limitations, uh, showed up when we needed people to take over uh, for Ray after his knee surgery. And they've showed up and they've helped set up whenever they were uh, available at 7 a.m. and come in and they just did what they could do. And it was a great help. And, and, and so, like, what is God wanting to do with you? What has God been calling 
you to do that you don't think you're ready for. You may be waiting to be smarter or faster or older or wiser or wealthier, but, but God's waiting for you to simply get going, to be willing to do what he's called you to do and then step out to do it. The victory over Sisera wasn't given to the strong or the wise or the worthy. It was giving, given to the willing. So if we don't respond to God, God's still going to get the job done, right? He's still going to do what he needs to do. But you and I, if we're not willing, we're not going to get the thrill of being a part of his great plan. And so I just want to leave you with this. What is God calling you to do? What's he calling you to do today? Or, or maybe tomorrow when you go to work or, or Thursday? What's he calling you to do this week? Don't let what you think you don't have stop you from having all that God wants to give you when you're simply willing to be used by him. You may be waiting to be good enough, but God simply wants you to get going. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and thank you for using us even when we um, fail you. Thank you, God, for... Um, for not waiting for us to be perfect or to be worthy to be used by you, but, but you're, just, you're waiting for us to be willing. And in our weakness, you are proven strong. And so thank you, God, for um, just being with us and, and uh, every day. God, would we, as we go into our, our new work week and we're doing the things that need to be done, God, if there's something that you would have us do, would you help us just to be willing to do it? to not make excuses for those things, but just to step out and to do what needs to be done. We thank you, God, for loving us and for watching out for us. Um, be with us this week for, with those who are um, struggling, who've been sick this last week and the stuff going on. Would you just give us guidance and, and wisdom? We pray for our nation, for her leaders. We pray for your presence uh, uh, among them and for us. And would we be a people after you? And, and God, no matter what happens in the world around us, would we just stay true to this? That you have called us to help every person possible find real life in your son Jesus and look more like him every day. And we can do that no matter what the gas prices are, no matter what, who's in the White House, no matter what's going on in other parts of the world, and even in the struggles of our own daily lives. We can focus on that mission and we can work to accomplish it. Help us to be willing. And even in our weakness, would you be strong? Show yourself in those areas. God, thank you for this day. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here. We'll wrap up uh, Judges next week, and it'll be a little different again. Um, but uh, we'll see you either in person or online. See you next week.